The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. For the next hour, Monterey College of Law's Dean Mitchell Winnick and law professor Stephen Wagner will discuss current legal events and public policy issues that are affecting our daily lives. They will not provide individual legal advice. If you have a specific legal problem, you're encouraged to contact a lawyer for legal assistance. If you do not have a lawyer, contact the local bar association or lawyer referral service in your community for recommendations. And now, here's Wagner and Winnick on the law. Greetings and welcome to another edition of Wagner and Winnick on the Law. I am San Luis Obispo College of Law professor and trial attorney Stephen Wagner. And as always, I am joined by my co-host, Dean and President of Monterey College of Law and San Luis Obispo College of Law, Mitchell Winnick. Mitch, good day to you good, as always. Good day to you, Stephen. Stephen, it's a great day when we get to talk about drones. Oh, you know, it's, you know, it's <laughs> I amazing. jumped you on it because I know you usually no, get on it good. first. And, and in the past, you've been just kind of hitting it just as a little quip. Uh, you know, place setter kind of thing. But now we've actually got some real good traction, some law to talk about. And it is true, uh, as we predicted, that issue's not going away for a while. It is not. But I have been banging on the FAA for the time it has taken them to get these commercial drone rules out. Because as we've talked about and had guests talk about on this show several times, the commercial potential for drones in communities, particularly like ours, that are ag-oriented and have safety issues of patrolling the beach, patrolling the the uh, forests. I mean, these are going to be social change agents. I remember like it was yesterday when we talked about the industrial uses. We talked about ag use, the agriculture in- industry. We also talked about the uh, first responders Uh, emergency personnel that use drones now to identify or to help in rescue efforts. And and the fires going on in Southern California. I mean, there's opportunities for first responders to check out things that you just, there just was no easy way. They'd have to wait for a helicopter, wait for a plane. You put those uh, pilots in danger in those kind of situations. And now they can use drones, get it up there quickly, get it up there locally. I mean, it's this is going to be an exciting time. Yeah, it is. So I look forward to talking about that topic today. And we'll also talk a little bit about uh, the fireworks surrounding fireworks. Yes, there is. And you would think that given the particularly the drought going on in some parts of the country, that the ban of fireworks would be a no-brainer. But, in fact, it is very controversial, and we see it even here right in our backyard. The Salinas, the the city council put a firework ban, and we're going to talk in a bit about the difference between safe and sane fireworks and dangerous fireworks, but they banned everything, and then it went out to referendum, and the community said, uh-uh, we want it back. Right, absolutely. I think Guns and fireworks. I, I, have a th- I have a feeling we're going to be talking about deep-rooted culture, customs, and practice, in a way, on that topic, for I, sure. I, I and you know, another thing, Mitch, I, wanted, I do want to address at the front of the show, and it's a little bit of a loop back to the topic we took on last week, and that was the 
Brock Turner's sentencing case. And I really do want to acknowledge some of our listeners that have uh, chimed in through our comments at wagnerandwinnick.com and specifically on an issue that you took on last week, Mitch. And I do want to tip my cap to you because it was a tough one to talk about and it was the responsibility factor, the one having to do with behavior on college campuses. And, you know, you had framed it quite nicely. You know, you weren't in any way suggesting that there was contributory fault necessarily on the part of the victim in the Brock Turner case. Absolutely not. And as my daughter pointed out to me that the the proper terminology is survivor, not victim. And even in that, we've got to get our... It's a good point. And and I had, I stumbled on the show a couple times and she reminded me I know. She got that out and it resonated big time. And it was in fact echoed by one of our listeners who did chime in with a comment. And uh, this listener was actually referencing so-called old school traditions and campuses and really sounding out on the topic of the need to change behavior overall. What is the message? You know, there's outrage connected to the sentencing. We get that. But once everything is uh, evaluated in a big picture frame, we do need to look at behavior, whether certain things were condoned on college campuses. And, of course, drinking is front and center as a important and uh, And I thought it might resonate with you because the district attorney has come out with they want to change the laws in Santa Clara County so that there's no question about the sentencing going forward uh, being more strict. And I think that's a perfect example of we can solve it on the law side with the stroke of a pen. The district attorney can change the sentencing requirements and boom, that's not going to happen again. But I hope that we don't then drop the topic and not do just as you said, keep the dialogue going of the danger of the environment that's created on campuses for vulnerable individuals. Not all of them are minors, but they're vulnerable. And and the the old attitudes about drinking and sexual assault have to change. Yes. Just and, that and, and along with that, we'll keep our eyes uh, closely focused on what happens with NCAA sports and college and student athletes also, because I think that's another issue too. It all gets wrapped up in it. And, and actually, let me make clear, because I wasn't linking drinking and sexual assaults. I was actually stipulating those as two completely separate topics that we need to address you on sure campus. were, and I think you articulated <laughs> it nicely. So... Uh, we do want to encourage our listeners to keep commenting at comments and, uh, at wagnerandwinnick.com. Comments at wagnerandwinnick.com. For the past few weeks, we've noticed that there's been an influx of comments, and we greatly appreciate that because we do read them and we do learn from them. And in fact, they do actually uh, inspire us to take on certain topics. So we should probably lead into drones. How about that? Sure. Want to go into yeah, drones absolutely. before we take our first yeah. break? So what do we got? We've got some uh, some movement in the law. Not just movement. This was a leap. I'd say, well, okay, that's movement too. But this was a leap. I got to give the FAA credit. Uh, we've been banging on them about getting out commercial rules because it just seemed like they were dragging their feet. And effective this August, they actually published them this past week, but effective this August, there are new rules related to the commercial use of drones. And by all intents and purposes from the what I read about them, what the response in the media has been, what the response of the commercial users, it sure seems like they got it right. Okay, so, so, so if anybody has questions about we're not going to go through the 20 or 30 aspects of it today, but you can go right to the FAA website and just, and there they are. They've got a beautiful summary of it. 
But I just wanted to hit on a couple things and, and give them their, their props where they're due. Uh, they're going to spend $150 million through 2020 in the rulemaking and regulating of drones. So they're taking this seriously as a regulator. But more importantly, they took a real turn in the drafting of this law. Historically, the FAA is all about drafting laws, about preventing dangerous things. And they, it's all the things you can't do. But they led this story on drones with the fiscal benefits to the economy that they estimate between now and 2020 could be 733 million to 9 billion. And over 10 years, 100,000 jobs and maybe as much as 82 I, billion. I think that's great that you're pointing that out. And you're speaking about the fiscal benefits in terms of the appropriate uses of drones. That's exactly right. And that's going to be both the building of them, it's going to be the commercial use of them, and it's it's going to be a whole new economy. So, so you're saying it creates sort of a, a little bit of a new position by the FAA, or really any ruling body like this, because they're looking more in a vast, big picture aspect. Because sometimes what they would do is they would have to wait until their problems and then promulgate rules to correct the problems. So you, know, you get a near miss at an airport, and so they come out with a new set of rules about drones near the airports. You get somebody that crashes it and there's an injury, and they come out with a new set of rules about that. They didn't do that this time. They, they really took a proactive view of how can drones be used constructively in our economy, and they built the rules around those. Yeah, it's good so to point that out. Kudos to the FAA on yeah, that. Yeah, so you're actually giving them a, a compliment. <laughs> well, so I, beat up with, I beat them up for a year and a half no, now. No, you did. It's, a, <laughs> it's actually a great opportunity to loop back and give them, uh, give this governing body some uh, laudable comments, really, because I think it is a good point. Usually, the rules are reactionary. You know, they're in direct response exactly to something. Right. And I think the way you framed it is very often rules from the FAA are just a hard read it and weep. You can't do something in this uh, rule statement. And we'll get back to some of the nuances after the break. They actually do look to the advantages of drones and probably recognize the need to be a little more flexible, wouldn't you say? I think that's exactly right. And so they kept some of the things they, they started before, which is that, you know, these are drones weighing less than 55 pounds. So we're not talking about industrial drones the size of a helicopter. But we're recreational. Also, but we're not, well, we're talking more than just recreational. 55 pounds with telemetry and things hanging on it. You know, that's a pretty big piece of machinery. So it's more than the little toy drones you're going to buy at Over Radio the counter. Shack. Right. Yes, or at Target. These, these are commercial use drones that we talked about could be used in agriculture and first responders and, and realtors. I mean, there's just, we, we talked about it in a whole show how many exciting things yeah. that could be used. The Let's pick it back up when we come back from this break. You're listening to Wagner and Winnick on the Law on the BizTalk Radio Network and over Voice America. The topic we've just been talking about is new regulations involving the use of drones as issued by the FAA. When we come back, we'll pick up on that conversation. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Deciding to go to law school brings up questions like, can I afford it? 
Will I be prepared to take the leap and open my own office when I graduate? I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. Have you ever dreamed of being a lawyer? We at Monterey College of Law can help make that dream come true with professors who are practicing attorneys and judges. They mentor our graduates. But don't take it from me. Hear what recent graduate Creighton Mandeville says. I wasn't crippled in debt coming out of Monterey College of Law. I came out of it with no debt. I was able to do some working during that time and some savings, so I exited law school with no debt. I did feel prepared coming out of law school. I started helping friends with the issues that came up for them, and Monterey College of Law has so many great faculties and things that there were resources for me. There's never been a better time to become a lawyer. Call us today at 582-4000. That's 582-4000. Or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. That's montereylaw.edu. For 45 years, the Boys and Girls Clubs of Monterey County have been a vital part of our community. The club's mission is to inspire and empower the youth of Monterey County to realize their full potential to become responsible, healthy, productive, and successful citizens. As just one of the club's programs, more than 12,000 children and families have enjoyed safe after-school care at the Boys and Girls Club's Salinas Clubhouse. The Boys and Girls Club of Monterey County is very excited to announce that Monterey College of Law is providing one full tuition law school scholarship each year to a former Boys and Girls Club participant. For more information about this exciting opportunity, contact President and CEO Donna Ferrero at dferrero at bgmc.org or call 831-757-4412. Beginning with the Continental Congress in 1774, America's national legislative bodies have kept records of their proceedings. Did you know that these records are available to you online for free? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner & Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. Congress.gov is the official website for the U.S. House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate. It is published by the Library of Congress and includes the public records of the U.S. Congress, the Government Publishing Office, and the Congressional Budget Office. Remember, members of Congress work for us, and if you want to see what they're doing, go to congress.gov and watch the actual sessions of Congress, or look up any law that's being proposed. That's congress.gov, C-O-N-G-R-E-S-S dot gov. Are you ready to start law school now? If you've just graduated from college or just thinking of changing your career, now is the time to take that first step. Slow College of Law is accepting applications for May 2016. The San Luis Obispo College of Law is an accredited branch of the Monterey College of Law School, founded 43 years ago. You can get a law degree from an accredited law school right here in San Luis Obispo. Their highly esteemed faculty is comprised of local judges and lawyers. San Luis Obispo College of Law classes are held conveniently in the evenings, and the campus is conveniently located in downtown San Luis Obispo. Let the professionals show you how to make becoming a lawyer a reality. Make today the first step in changing your life. Attend an information session and get answers to your questions. Call Dean of Admission Wendy LaRevere at 805-439-4096. Visit slowlaw.org for more information. That's slowlaw.org.
Welcome back to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. If you're just joining us, we started our segment today talking about new FAA rules involving the use of drones. And Mitch, why don't we just... Uh, finish this topic by sharing a little bit of uh, additional information. Yeah, I just want to remind everybody that although the rules just came out, and they are going to be great new rules, I think the commercial use will love it, it does not go into place until August. So the current rules that require special permits are still in place until August. So don't go out there and get yourself in trouble between now and August. Comply with the law as it's currently written, but become familiar with what you're going to be able to do in August. Yep, good. And then uh, knowledge is power, as always. So you know, or our listeners should know, that they can go online to always apprise themselves of the current laws and rules regulating drones. And in this case, it's just go directly to the FAA website. That's true. All right, so... Fourth of July is coming up, Mitch. It is, and, and with a that big comes what? <laughs> with Fourth of July comes fireworks. That's right, and sometimes what else? Fires. And fires. So that's that's a concern. And what we've seen is a, a couple of things that have changed nationally, and we particularly see them here in California. But one of the the key items is there's been an evolution of fireworks where they now have what they call safe and sane fireworks and those are the ones okay, that can i can i interrupt and kind of crash the party oh, okay go you ahead. know what those go by a different name right <laughs> duds well the I, boring fireworks I, well it's not particularly that boring they, you can still get quite a few things but but they are what did you the, do when your dad said son you can only use the snails i well, of course, we snuck around and we went and blew things up. Of, back when they, of when course no one, you did. And, and in fact, I told you in the break, you know, that, that this does resonate. We all probably have stories. Of course, our parents told us, don't do that. And of course, they always said, don't do that. It'll put your eye out. Well, we went across the street. We're hiding out in a pile of garbage that had things back there that we were blowing up and had the really smart idea of blowing up a light bulb and it only seemed cool until the piece of light bulb shrapnel whizzed by me took a nick out of my ear and really caught my attention and you know that was where my parents yeah, warning it, we had to say you know sometimes our parents were smarter than we thought we probably could have done a segment dedicated just to close calls <laughs> I, absolutely so anyway, but the but the regulations are are nationally these definitions of safe and sane fireworks. Those that aren't in that category are under the legal category of dangerous fireworks, and possession and use of those, depending on the jurisdiction, can be a fairly serious misdemeanor. It could be a year in jail. It could be twelve to fourteen hundred dollar fines. So these are not inconsequential violations if you're not familiar with your local laws. Right. Right. Okay. So safe and sane, I assume, would mean that that's the type of firework that you would buy at a fireworks stand. That's that, right. And to buy them anywhere other than a licensed fireworks stand is a violation of the law. So that's the other piece. Ah, okay. Because that's another one we could have fun with. Where did you go to buy your black market that's fireworks? Exactly For right. For me, I'll, I will admit it was Chinatown, San Francisco. It was a big <laughs> deal to go up and get black cat firecrackers. Well, you know, so those we we have the two categories, and the the concern that that many of our local communities have, particularly in California this year, 
is that even the safe and sane fireworks can create a danger of fire. And so that has added an element that really hasn't been out there. Uh, there's, an art, there's an article here that a f- former guest of our show, Kelly McMillan, chief of police in Salinas, was talking about. And he said, what's, you know, what's really changed in addition just to the danger to the person is the danger of fire. Right. And so, and I thought it was really fascinating that he said, this is not a socioeconomic issue. He said, when they're out patrolling 4th of July, it is every, every single block, every single neighborhood, because the violations are everywhere and they are as yeah, busy I, as they can I be have heard to that catch said them. too. It would be hard to say that law enforcement was profiling in, in this kind of uh, scenario because of, of the prolific use. No, I think that's right. So, so I think one of the things where what I wanted to point out is that it, it's, it, I think, and again, we talked about perception change. I think this might be a fair category that most of us who grew up in an era where you could pretty much buy whatever you wanted and pretty much get away with using it anywhere you wanted, uh, that... That perception is not shared by law enforcement right now. And I think that's another one coming into the 4th of July weekend that all of us need to look at. Because as adults, you know, it, the violators are adults. It's, it's not right. the kids. I mean, the kids may be at health risk, but, but the people they're going to arrest for violating these are going to be fully formed adults who are out playing and they just remember as a child that these were allowed then and by golly, they're going to do them now and then they show their children that violation of this law is okay. Yeah. And then the other issue, and I think this is one that we we should probably address, is the differences between municipalities, city to city, right? Because there's competing laws and ordinances. There are, you know, and we see it, as we mentioned in the intro, we see it in our own backyard. Uh, the city of Salinas banned them. The city of Monterey did not. Uh, and yet the city of Salinas City Council banned them for reasons that they were entitled to do as a city ordinance. And then it went out to referendum and the community of Salinas said, no, we don't want them banned. And now, now this for those who are listening on our home station here, in the Monterey Peninsula, it is important to know that that referendum passed. It is not in place this July. Right. It will not go into effect until after this 4th of July. So, so again, people may have read about it in the newspaper and said, oh, well, the ordinance got overturned and now safe and sane fireworks are allowed again. It is not true. That law is not into effect Yet. All right. But I would say you can go on to almost any state website and type in fireworks, and you can get, uh, in California, I went and looked at it. I've got a chart here. It gives you a county by county, city by city lineup of what the local ordinances are. Right. So you can access uh, online information that would show where you can or cannot engage in the use of safe and sane fireworks. Now, let me just throw a curveball at you here. So I was out of town, as you know, this past week, and I was talking with a a legal colleague of mine. I won't call him out on this show, although he has been a guest host on this show before. And so we're talking about the ban of fireworks, and he just launched into this constitutional argument of unless you have 
stated reasons the government shouldn't be able to take those fireworks away. And I went, wait a minute, this sure sounds like an echo of the Second, Second Amendment, oh, Second and you're going to have to show me which amendment says you get to have fireworks. Right. His argument was that unless the government can show a compelling reason to take something like that away from us, he just wasn't in favor of him. Wow. Okay, that's interesting. So what do you think? What that's, say no, that, you, no, Mr. That's Prosecutor? A, no, that's a good constitutional <laughs> argument. So I'm thinking about the Second Amendment. If that's going to be the power source and right to bear arms, we'll continue after the break. We're, you're listening to Wagner and Winnick on the Law on the BizTalk Radio Network and over Voice America. The topic we're taking on now is fireworks. Works, use of fireworks. Can you use them lawfully in your city or municipality? We'll be don't right forget back. Michael Cohen's coming up with International Crossroads after this break. That's right. Stay tuned for Michael Cohen's segment on International Crossroads. We'll be right back. Applying to Monterey College of Law is not hard, and we have a financial plan and class schedule that is tailored to meet your needs. I'm Wendy Laubervere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. Have you ever dreamed of being a lawyer? We at Monterey College of Law can help make that dream come true without crippling you with debt on graduation day. I chose Monterey College of Law because I wanted to continue working during the day. I had children at home, and I wanted to be able to go to school at night where it wouldn't impact what my children needed from me. There really is not crippling debt that you face afterwards. Monterey College of Law has a payment plan which is manageable and they work with you. The other huge benefit of Monterey College of Law is that the professors are judges and lawyers. By taking their classes, you really actually start networking. So I was very fortunate because I also ended up with a mentor. There's never been a better time to become a lawyer. Call us today at 582-4000 or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. For decades, the students at Monterey College of Law have graduated and gone on to pass the bar and become successful attorneys. However, not everyone goes to Monterey College of Law to become an attorney. I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. We also offer students our two-year Master of Legal Studies degree, which can enhance their chosen careers. I was working as a deputy coroner for San Mateo County as a death scene investigator, and I wanted a better idea of the legal issues that were involved in forensic investigations. Everything about Monterey College of Law was accommodating to the uh, course of study I was trying to find. I graduated from Monterey College of Law with no outstanding debt. I'm working as an investigator for the San Mateo County Private Defender's Office, performing indigent defense investigations. For more information, call us today at 582-4000. That's 582-4000. Or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. That's montereylaw.edu. If you are a small business owner, you're subject to many of the same laws and regulations that apply to large corporations. Where do you go for help? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. SBA.gov is the website published by the Small Business Administration. It provides a wealth of information for small business owners, including employment and labor law, intellectual property law, online business laws and regulations, environmental regulations, workplace safety, and foreign worker eligibility. Of course, SBA.gov is not a replacement for having your own business attorney, but it is a free resource that may help you realize when you need to consult an attorney.
sba.gov. Have you thought about a law degree? Did you know you can attend an accredited law school right here in San Luis Obispo? And you can begin classes in May or in August. I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions of San Luis Obispo College of Law. San Luis Obispo College of Law is a branch of Monterey College of Law, an accredited law school established 44 years ago. At San Luis Obispo College of Law, we have convenient evening classes, Mondays through Thursdays from 6.30 to 9.30 p.m. We have a tuition rate guarantee program that freezes your tuition rate when you begin and protects you from annual tuition increases. We also have payment programs that allow you to make monthly payments or apply for private student loans. At San Luis Obispo College of Law, our faculty is composed of highly esteemed local lawyers and judges. If you've been thinking about a law degree, find out now if San Luis Obispo College of Law is your law school. Attend one of our information sessions and get answers to your questions. Or call me, Wendy Law Revere, at 805-439-4096. Visit slowlaw.org. That's slolaw.org. It is one thing to argue with your friends at the bar, but have you ever wondered what it would be like to argue in front of the United States Supreme Court? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. Oye.org, spelled O-Y-E-Z dot O-R-G, is a website published by the Free Law Project at Chicago Kent School of Law. You can go to oye.org and listen to 60 years of actual oral arguments at the United States Supreme Court. Written summaries are provided for cases that go all the way back to 1789. OEA.org also provides biographical information on every United States Supreme Court justice and offers an online tour of the Supreme Court building. Go to OEA.org to see if you have what it takes to present a winning argument. Welcome to another edition of the International Crossroads on Wagner and Winnick on the Law with Michael Cohen, guest host. With me today is Nancy Koch. For over 20 years, Nancy has provided legal support to scientists and their organizations, from startups to multinational corporations. Between 2012 and 2016, Nancy served as general counsel to the Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation, one of the largest private funders of basic research. While representing the California Institute of Regenerative Medicine, Nancy helped design intellectual property regulations that govern state-funded stem cell research. As a vice president and deputy general counsel for both Chiron Corporation and Novartis Vaccines and Diagnostics, she handled intellectual property, licensing, and scientific collaboration matters. Nancy, thanks so much for joining us today here on the International Crossroads. I'm glad to be here, Michael. Thanks for inviting me. It's wonderful to have you. Um, Nancy, uh, there's a gap you've identified in something really important going on here in in America, Um, and it has to do with funding for basic science. Talk to me a little bit about that. The gap, Michael, is something uh, that has to do with the role of the federal government in funding basic science. Uh, After World War II, uh, the government of the United States and the government in many other countries became the major funder of basic scientific research. 
But recently in this country, as well as in some others, the amount of federal government funding going into supporting basic research has declined. And that decline has a deleterious effect on our ability to create basic science discoveries, which in turn hurts our ability to uh, experience the the benefits that come from basic science. Well, that's just fascinating. You know, I think many of us, if you're like me, I won't speak for others, but um, I don't feel that I have really fully appreciated the role that uh, the, na- the nation's government plays in, in, in scientific funding. But it really isn't that surprising as I look around the world uh, and see nationalist economies like China and many others, um, as well as um, economies in Western Europe where the state plays a much more substantial role in the economy and in the sciences and uh, other um, elements of Im- important human endeavor. Um, uh, there may be significant funding, but that seems to be waning here in the, in the United States. Um, uh, how how can we fix this? How how can we resolve this here in America? Well, Michael, the, the federal government in America is still devoting a lot of money to scientific research. But what we're talking about here is the very beginning of the continuum of scientific research. It's the most basic research. It does not necessarily have immediate application. And the government, because of constrained budgets and conflicting priorities as a whole, is leaning more toward applied, supporting applied scientific endeavors and perhaps endeavors that are somewhat less uh, risky to take on. Uh, Similarly, the corporate world, which also supports uh, basic research and scientific research generally, is under constraints as well. Uh, They answer to the street, they answer to their shareholders, they have pressures on them which make them focus more on obtaining short-term gains than making long-term investments, which is sometimes what's required uh, to support the basic scientific research. My my experience uh, has been that foundations in this country, private foundations, are in an extremely good position because of the flexibility that they have to support or help fill the gap that's been created by the diminished government and, and, and commercial sector funding for basic research. And why why is that? And first of all, I guess Nancy, when you're talking about private foundations, what does that mean to to a person not versed in in business organizations or or uh, their legality? What would that mean to the average person on the street? To the average person, a private foundation is a funded entity which exists predominantly to do charitable work or philanthropic work. And the the basic exchange that a uh, foundation gets from the government is the foundation is excused from paying most taxes uh, on the income that it generates with its endowment in exchange for its commitment to each year spend approximately 5% of its assets doing charitable work. The good news is that basic science uh, falls right in the wheelhouse of the private foundation. Supporting basic science is clearly a charitable undertaking and will count for that foundation towards its annual distribution requirements. So it's a safe place for a foundation to spend its assets. Got it. And Nancy, do you think foundations um, are uh, underserving this gap? Uh, more could serve the gap? Uh, overserving the gap? In, in what way... 
um, you know, where, where do you see the spectrum right, right now uh, by way of need? Well, Michael, foundations have been a very large source of charitable funding for basic research. There was a recent report out suggesting that foundation support uh, hit almost a billion dollars um, uh, as of 20, in 2015 to support basic science. So I don't want to suggest that they're not doing their share or their part. I do want to suggest that they are well-suited for funding this kind of research and that it may be possible for them to do more or for people to consider creating opportunities for those foundations to do more and that that would be a positive thing because of their structure and the lack of constraints that they operate under in in many cases. Tell me a little bit more about that. What do you mean about the the lack of constraints um, that would facilitate their ability? Go ahead. So for for example, if, if you look at certain kinds of funders, uh, they may have restrictions on the kind of funding they can give. A foundation is very, very flexible forms of funding are available to it. It can do grants, which is their mainstay. It can do loans, loan guarantees, letter of credits, investments, including where they take equity positions. There's a lot of room for them to structure their contribution in a way that best fits the opportunity at hand. Uh, similarly, they can invest their money in a wide variety of settings. So they can fund both public and private entities. They can fund universities, institutes, research labs. They can fund individuals. They can fund for-profit entities. They can even fund outside of this country, a a virtually unlimited range of entities that they can fund. Foundations have a great deal of flexibility in the constraints that they choose to put on intellectual property, which may result from the the science that they support. So for example, where in some cases, federal government funding always comes with what's known as marching rights or the ability of the federal government to step in and license the resulting technology. Foundations have no requirements imposed on them for what must be done with the intellectual property that results from their funding. That makes them a very desirable funding sponsor. And and maybe the biggest advantage that foundations have is their ability to engage in collaborative funding. If you think about federal government funding with with, with other entities, there's a political overlay that becomes immediately apparent. Uh, If you think about a situation where the government of the United States might be trying to fund a project with the government of Russia, Uh, The science might be good, but if the overriding politics are not, the project is not going to go very far. Yeah, I can only imagine that. Yeah. (laughs) I said I can only imagine the United States and Russia cooperating on a scientific advancement. (laughs) Exactly. There there are challenges there that have very little to do with the science. Similarly, uh, you can think of two corporate entities trying to collaborate together to support basic science. But they're going to be subject to competition law restrictions and antitrust restrictions. And that will weigh very heavily on their ability to exchange certain kinds of information. Foundations don't come with that kind of restriction. Uh, There are many mechanisms that a foundation can use to sponsor research that are not commonly used by other entities. So so it's the inherent flexibility of foundation funding which makes them so well-suited to sponsor basic research. Nancy Koch, that's just fascinating stuff. Um, 
you know, to, to have an organization, I think to, to sum it up, uh, my own takeaway is that, uh, you know, foundation has some unlimited flexibility to be altruistic and uh, basic science could use a little bit of that kind of funding. I'd, I'd basically agree with that assessment. Well, um, you have uh, heard Nancy Koch on another uh, edition of International Crossroads. Uh, Nancy, thanks so much for joining us. And with that, we will turn things back over to Wagner and Winnick on the law. Welcome back to Wagner and Winnick on the law. Well... Welcome back to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. You just listened to a new segment of Michael Cohen on International Crossroads. And Mitch, that was nice to have uh, an additional segment and to hear Michael's segment on uh, International Crossroads and to cater to our business listeners because we've been making a point of reaching out to them a bit more. So after this break, we're going to come back. Making a change in career is a serious decision that affects both you and your family. You have many questions that need to be answered before you can make a commitment. I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. Have you ever dreamed of being a lawyer? We at Monterey College of Law can help make that dream come true. And it's affordable. But don't take it from me. Hear what recent graduate Dan Cullum says. Before I was entering law school, I was an airline pilot. After I retired, I decided that I would go to law school. Monterey College of Law was the avenue to fulfill that desire. I loved Monterey College of Law. It was small classes. The professors were very helpful, personal. You could talk to them. Tuition is not exorbitant at Monterey College of Law, which is the opposite of the way it is at other places. It's affordable. They have a, a program at Monterey College of Law that lets you pay as you go, so it's financially possible. There's never been a better time to become a lawyer. Call us today at 582-4000 or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. Long before Woody's cruised Beach Street, kids and teens have needed to know that they are important and that they belong. Since 1969, the Boys and Girls Club of Santa Cruz has provided a place where potential is released and great futures are forged. Help celebrate our 45th anniversary by emailing your club memories and pictures to celebrate 45 years at boysandgirlsclub.info or call 423-3138, extension 23. We are also excited to announce that Monterey College of Law is providing one full tuition law school scholarship each year to a former Boys and Girls Club participant. Contact Executive Director Bob Langseth at 423-3138, extension 21, or email bob at boysandgirlsclub.info to learn more about this exciting opportunity. Consumer scams, fraud, deceptive business practices. Where do you go for protection? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. FTC.gov is the website published by the Federal Trade Commission. As the nation's consumer protection agency, the FTC wants to know about businesses that cheat people out of money. If you've been the victim of consumer fraud, you should file a complaint at FTC.gov. 
Although the FTC's Bureau of Consumer Protection will not help you recover your individual damages, your complaint may initiate an investigation that results in companies or individuals being sued by the government for fraud, deceptive practices, or unfair business practices. If you want more information about how to protect yourself as a consumer, go to the Bureau of Consumer Protection at ftc.gov. Are you ready to start law school now? If you've just graduated from college or are thinking of changing your career, now is the time to take that first step. Slow College of Law is accepting applications for May 2016. San Luis Obispo College of Law is an accredited branch of the Monterey College of Law School founded 43 years ago. You can get a law degree from an accredited law school right here in San Luis Obispo. Their highly esteemed faculty is comprised of local judges and lawyers. San Luis Obispo College of Law classes are held conveniently in the evenings and the campus is conveniently located in downtown San Luis Obispo. Let the professionals show you how to make becoming a lawyer a reality. Make today the first step in changing your life. Attend an information session and get answers to your questions. Call Dean of Admissions Wendy LaRiviere at 805-439-4096. Visit slowlaw.org for more information. That's slowlaw.org. The U.S. Constitution has recently created national headlines in the debate about filling the vacancy created by the sudden death of Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. The president and certain members of Congress are at odds about what the Constitution requires when there's a vacancy on the Supreme Court. Who is right? And how can everyday citizens be informed enough to know the answer? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. ConstitutionCenter.org is a website published by the National Constitution Center. The center was established by Congress to provide information about the United States Constitution on a nonpartisan basis. If you want information about the Constitution's history and what it means today, go to ConstitutionCenter.org and form your own opinion about the law. Welcome back to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. If you are just joining us, you just heard a segment of International Crossroads that is conducted by co-host Michael Cohen. And Mitch, I think it's great to have the new addition to add to a little business law information. In this case, it was private funding. That was a very interesting Private funding topic. for grants. And, and, and we're going to do this about twice every month. We're going to have Michael talk on an issue related to international law and business. And part of this is just our recognition that with the BizTalk Radio Network and VoiceAmerica.com business channel, uh, the vast majority of our listeners are, are business individuals, entrepreneurs, managers. And so we want to make sure that we, in addition to taking the topical issues that come out of the headlines and things such as fireworks, which we're going to get back to here in a minute. But we want to get into, have an opportunity to go into some of the deeper issues related to business and international law. And Michael's going to do that for us. I think it's an exciting new start. Yeah, absolutely. And certainly private funding is a, an important issue. It is in, indeed. So, okay, I'm going to play the Grinch role if I'm, let's I guess I'm mixing my holidays here a bit. But, you know, there's six to seven hundred million dollars spent on consumer fireworks in the 
United States. So this is not an insignificant amount. But we talked a little about the the illegality and the, the risk that you could have a year's a year in jail and possibly several thousand dollars in fines for violating a local ordinance. But it's it's not just that, is it, Steve? No. If, if you're having a, just a perfect little barbecue in your backyard, let's assume you're in one of these communities that has banned fireworks, and you're just right there on your own property, and you have a little fireworks display, but things get a little out of hand, the lawn catches on fire, the fence catches on fire, and before the fire department gets there, you have burned down your neighbor's house. Okay? Yes. So, we now are not talking about a criminal violation of a couple thousand dollars of a misdemeanor. We're talking about a civil lawsuit here. So, what ha- is there liability? How does that liability roll out if you've Broken, even what is what you we talked about. Many people think is an insignificant little misdemeanor, but that crime has now led to a, a, a civil damage. Yeah, so you're right to point out the fact that the tentacles are much uh, more widespread than the mere fact of being in possession of a potential illegal firework or misusing a firework. So, what happens in the case where there's some damages, and and that leads to the issue of potential civil liability and a crossover with criminal liability potentially. And of course, the uh, tandem topic of a parent's responsibility for a minor and whether a parent can be liable in tort or for the the wrongful conduct of a minor. And all states have some kind of a statute on the books that will impute liability to a parent for the willful conduct of a child. And there are variations in California embodied in our civil code that speak to the issue of willful misconduct. And most of those code sections actually require that there be some kind of condoning or encouragement on the part of the parent does For it instance, have to be actual notice? So, so let's say that the, the student, uh, a minor, in this case, we have a minor, he, he buys, and let's make it easy for the case, buys illegal fireworks that are absolutely by statute not allowed, uh, shares them with a friend, and there ends up being a, a, a mishap, and that there's a, a serious medical injury that would create the, the possible civil liability. So... So now, did the parent have to know that their kid had the fireworks? No, not necessarily. In fact, liability can still extend to the parent uh, pursuant to our civil code sections. And there's also vehicle code sections actually on point on that same issue. So the issue of parent responsibility or parental responsibility or guardian responsibility is definitely embodied in our in our statute. So notice is not necessarily required. The reason I took that on was because you kind of set up the backyard right. party scenario. So that's was, a slightly different one when you actually do, you may know that they're playing with it. And so, so from a parent's standpoint, from the adult's standpoint, it's, I guess our whole point of this is to talk about it from an illegal framework. It isn't just the innocent little playing around with fireworks that could turn this into a real mishap for folks. Right. No, absolutely. And so, so there's the criminal issue, there's the civil issue, and then there's the enhanced liability of having, you know, the purpose of conducting a crime. The the other issue, Mitch, that's interesting and has to do with the ordinances. If fireworks are used in an area where they were banned, then you have a potential argument that the conduct was what's called negligent per se. 
and you'll recall that from tort principles, right. meaning that the the mere act that the conduct was done suggests that it was negligent in nature. So, so these could be dangerous, dangerous both from a civil liability, obviously dangerous from uh, individual liability. Let me throw one more at you here. We got a few minutes left here. We're coming to the end, but I you know. Let, Stop. Uh, uh, we've talked uh, traffic stops. <clears throat> and so I knew small towns in Texas where the police would wait just down the road. They would watch an individual buy their fireworks. And then as they took the exit to loop back around and come within the jurisdiction, nab them. Is that okay? It is. Uh oh. And, and let me save <laughs> let me save that stop for you. Or should I give the more artful or sometimes inartful response? It depends. So it, that's going to the issue of pretext stops or a stop that has sort of a design in nature uh, upon the officer deciding to stop someone, right? right? So, so could they sit, I mean, literally sit yeah. in the one side of the city sure. limit and somebody could be selling fireworks, let's say, out of the city limit. So it's not illegal to sell it right where that booth is and sit there and personally watch the individual drive over the overpass, now drive back in. So they observe them so, make the purchase. So if the officer is in plain view while making those observations, not trespassing, not doing anything to viol violate constitutional rights, all the observations are admissible and permissible. The action center is on why the officer made a traffic stop. Uh -huh. Because if the officer tries to articulate that he made the stop because he thought there was illegal contraband in the vehicle, then there's a problem. It gets a little more complicated. If instead, well, the Supreme Court he talked about for, that last right? week. Oh, no, you know where I'm going. <laughs> I know if where you're instead, going. the officer simply waits for a traffic violation, what do we got? All right? I know what we got. We got music. <laughs> well, I just wanted to tie it back. So we, we actually did get fireworks back into the constitutional law. Well, you've listened to another week of Wagner and Winnick on the law. A reminder that you can hear a replay of today's show or an archive of any of our other shows at wagnerandwinnick.com. You can also hear it at voiceamerica.com and at biztalkradio.com. Until next week, please remember, if you don't know the law, know a lawyer. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 